open with us again to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 13, the Olivet Discourse. And uh, we are on our third message in this uh, section of Scripture. And it's uh, very interesting. It's very, uh, I don't know, just opening things up to me it is such a uh, wonderful passage of Scripture that I have honestly never dug into before because, as I said last week, most of the time when I have dealt with Matthew 24, Mark chapter 13, or Luke chapter 21, I went at it with a framework that had been, uh, uh, that I had in my mind, that I had picked up as I uh, grew in the ministry and as I studied the scripture, read commentaries, I picked up the framework of eschatology that was most common, I suppose. And uh, I have to confess that going into a passage of scripture like this, I was forced to try to place these verses in their place in my preconceived uh, outline or framework of eschatology. But going at Scripture, just like Pastor Russ has been doing in the book of the Revelation and like Art has been doing in the Minor Prophets, when you go verse by verse in these things and let Scripture speak, you get what Scripture has to say and not what other people have to say. And, uh, and it's the same way in the minor prophets, in the major prophets as well, in the Psalms or in the, uh, uh, the law books, the Pentateuch. It doesn't matter what you're reading, when you find something that refers to eschatology, you've you got to put it somewhere. Well, just, this is such freedom to me. We, we were talking about this the other day. I have just been set free to read this and let it say to me what it says. And so I want that for us tonight. I want us to see what Scripture says. So let's pray and we'll read the entire chapter one more time uh, because it's good. It's good stuff. Let's pray. Our Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless you and praise you. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the mighty truth of your word. And I pray for revelation uh, or illumination. I pray for illumination tonight that we might understand your truth, that we might clearly, clearly speak truth tonight and that your people might hear clearly and understand the truth of your word. May we uh, see scripture open up 
to our minds and our hearts. And may not just these verses that we'll be dealing with, but we'll, uh, we, we pray that the rest of Scripture would be open to us through the teaching tonight. I confess that I have nothing of my own to offer. I am weak. I am utterly helpless as far as spiritual things are concerned. So if you don't anoint and enable me, I won't be able to preach. And if you don't open the eyes and the hearts of your people, they won't be able to hear. So please speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Read. <laughs> let's read. We prayed. Let's read. Beginning in verse number one. You know, I think what I want to do is uh, back up. If you don't mind, just hold your place there. Let me go back here to, uh, to Matthew chapter 23 and read some verses here. Now, we've read them before, but let's just read them again. Beginning in verse number 29, it says, Woe to you. This is Jesus bringing his indictment on the uh, religious leaders of Israel. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets, decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Chapter 13 of uh, Mark. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones. And, uh, and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see the, these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, 
when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished, done, completed? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and the kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. Do you get the the impression that Jesus is saying, this is you. This is, I'm, I'm talking to you. He said, uh, uh, don't uh, be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not return back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. That's a very important thing right there. I have told you all things beforehand. Keep that in mind. 
But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as it... it it, as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Again, keep that that statement in mind, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but, the but only the Father. Be on guard. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Well, last week we uh, started in on this and we talked a lot about uh, uh, what is going on here. We talked about the uh, uh, fact that back in chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus brought this, this uh, uh, very thorough indictment against the uh, rebellious people, the disobedient leaders of the nation of Israel and the religious leaders, he is he he named them and he didn't pull any punches and he he is warning them now that judgment is coming, but this is not uh, just a judgment that's coming just in response to their disobedience because this is something that is uh, uh, had to take place. This is a transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. As we said last week, there's uh, uh, several things going on here, and it seems like they all come in pairs of two. There's uh, uh, several twos that bear, uh, uh, have bearing on what's going on here. There are two kingdoms that we're talking about. There is the earthly kingdom of this world, the earthly kingdom of uh, the sons of this world, and there is the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. There are two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, the new covenant is... Uh, it is ratified by Christ's blood 
It's confirmed by his resurrection, and it is established on the day of Pentecost. I, I, that's my opinion, and uh, others may not share that opinion, but the new covenant had to be ratified by blood. I believe the book of Hebrews uh, tells us that the old covenant was ratified by blood after God had given all the commandments. It was all sprinkled with blood and all that, but uh, the new covenant is ratified by the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, the shedding of Christ's blood. So in order to establish this new covenant, Jesus, the Messiah that was prophesied, the Messiah they were looking for, had to die. And he died on the cross of Calvary. And he destroyed, he destroyed his enemies in his hour of weakness, did he not? That's the way we win. Did you know that? That's the way God's people win. We win by dying. We win by laying our lives down. And Jesus laid his life down for his sheep, but he didn't stay dead. Thank God he arose the third day. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's seated there, the right hand of the Father. And the new covenant was, uh, uh, was established on the day of Pentecost when the uh, Spirit of God came and indwelt the people of God, the chosen of God, and they were unified into one body by the Holy Spirit. Now, there, it seems like there may have been a, a little overlap here because the Old Covenant seems like it still keeps puttering along until A.D. 70. But in A.D. 70, you know what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Titus, uh, the Roman uh, general, comes and uh, destroys Jerusalem and destroys the temple. And uh, what Jesus said was going to happen, that not a stone would be left on another, actually happened. And so uh, there's two covenants, there's two cities, the uh, Jerusalem that, uh, uh, that they were in at that moment when Jesus was saying these things. But then there's the new Jerusalem, the, uh, the uh, Jerusalem of God. There are two temples, the temple in Jerusalem and the temple of Christ. Uh, you might say that we also are <coughs> temples. Our, our bodies are temples. The church itself is a temple, but uh, uh, that uh, still doesn't mean that there's more than two. The uh, old temple that was to be destroyed and the temple of Christ, we are part of that temple. We are living stones that are part of that holy temple, and Christ is the chief cornerstone. There's two contrasting events taking place here. The judgment of Israel and the establishing of the new covenant. And I guess that might be a little repetitive. But then there's also, and we'll see this as we go through our study this evening, there's also two kinds of sufferers. There are those covenant breakers 
who are going to be, uh, they're going to suffer greatly. It is almost impossible to believe. If you read the histories of Josephus and others, I've been uh, reading Eusebius and Josephus, and it is, it is almost too much to imagine the kind of suffering that went on among the, uh, the Jewish people, the people that were left behind at the uh, uh, coming of the judgment and the wrath of God. They were murdered, they were beaten, they were robbed and abused and starved. You would not believe, and I know you probably read some history, but you wouldn't believe how that uh, starvation will just completely unmask and pull the covers back on the total depravity of man. To be hopeless with no food, no, no, uh, none of the necessities of life. And if you saw that you have not only lost all those things, but you have absolutely no hope whatsoever of getting it, and you saw someone else with a little more than you had, you would take it from them. That's what was going on in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, there were marauding bands that would go through during the siege when, uh, when the Romans were uh, surrounding the city and they couldn't get any supplies in and they'd used up everything they had. They had even been reduced to eating their own children. They were eating... I hate to say it, they were eating dung. They were in that desperate a condition. This is why Jesus is using such strong language. This is what's going on. And these bands of marauders would go through the city and they would look at, they'd break into people's homes. And if you were starving, they would either just go ahead and kill you or they would say you're not worth the effort and let you lay there and die. But if you didn't look like you were starving, then they would beat you until you told them how you got to be so fluffy. And they would beat you until you told them, and then they would kill you and take what you had. And so it was, it was no, uh, uh, there's no mercy at all whatsoever. And that was what was going on. It was a terrible time. And then those very marauders would end up being the victims. And, and it just was a, a ceaseless thing. And there were thousands and thousands of people that were killed. And I've read different numbers. And maybe I'll share that with you sometime. But it was a terrible thing. So, the uh, so there's 
those were the sufferers, the covenant breakers. But not only that, there were Christians. Jesus is talking, when he's talking about how that uh, uh, some of them were going to be treated, he is talking to believers there. He's talking to his disciples, and he's talking about some of the suffering that they're going to face. So, we uh, started going through this uh, chapter, as we said last week, and we talked about uh, verse number 2, the destruction of the temple. Uh, verse number 6, religious deception and deceivers. We talked... Uh, 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 in verse number 8, about political unrest, earthquakes, uh, in divers places, and famines. In verses 9 through 12, we talked about the persecution of believers, and we'll, uh, there's some more to be said about that. Uh, but in verse number 10, uh, we talked about how that the gospel is to be proclaimed in the whole world and how that uh, obviously according to Paul and uh, others the uh, the gospel whether it's talking about the known world or what the gospel uh, was preached in all the world during that time and in verse verses 11 through 13 we uh, come to a new section that we want to talk about. I already mentioned that uh, there's persecution of believers in verses 9 through 12, but uh, actually in verses 11 through 13, there is some intense persecution. Let's look at it. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over to do... to they deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, this, just as an example of how, uh, how people misapply Scripture and do not study it, uh, I have known people literally known people, preached in a church. No, I didn't. I never did preach in that church. But anyway, the pastor of that church believed that this passage of Scripture right here told him that he was not to study, that he was supposed to. He was supposed to get up and uh, let the Holy Spirit tell him what to say. And I was with a a friend of mine who was supposed to preach at the church, and we were sitting there beside the preacher, the pastor, and the pastor leans over to my friend and says, where is that verse that says uh, such and such? I don't remember what it was. And uh, Doug told him where the verse was. He said, yeah, I think that's what God wants me to preach on tonight. That's, um, that's, crazy but that's what people do they pick little pieces like this out of scripture but jesus is talking to his followers 
He's talking to the disciples and he's telling them that persecution is coming. Severe persecution is coming. And just because they love Jesus, the world's going to hate them. And other people are going to hate them. And especially the Jews are going to hate them. And so they're going to be brought before councils. But he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. And he's talking to people in that circumstance, at that time, okay? That's not something for you and me to say, well, i got to teach Sunday school Sunday. I'll uh, just wait till Sunday and see, see what the Holy Spirit gives me. Literally, there are people, there are churches and whole groups of uh, quote-unquote believers that believe like that. They would not have a preacher who studies beforehand and makes notes. They mock that. But this is, this is scripture. This is, we need to keep everything in its place, right? And not only that, he says, for, uh, and he says, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will raise, will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. How about that? You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. So we have persecution of God's people here. And it's not just persecution from the Jews. It's not just persecution from outside the family of God. It's not persecution from the world. This is persecution from our very families. Now you say that's pretty hard to imagine. And I'm reminded of a passage of scripture. It's in chapter number 10 of, uh, of Matthew where Jesus said these same things. He said, uh, he said in verse number 34 of chapter 10, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whosoever finds his life will lose it. Whosoever, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, what do you think about that? I uh, was on Facebook the other day and a friend of mine put a meme on that said, and I quote, don't let the, mem the ministry hurt your family. Don't let the ministry hurt your family. Now that is a common philosophy today in 
But do you know what the Bible actually teaches? We serve God first. It breaks my heart for my children to not follow along. So far, they're not trying to uh, turn me over to the authorities for serving the Lord. But it breaks my heart that uh, they're not where I wish they were with the Lord. But if, and, and you know, when I started out in the ministry, I said, I don't, I don't care anything about money or prestige or big church. What I want is for the Lord to give me my children. If it just give me my children. That's the only thing I want. I want to see my children saved and serving the Lord. And uh, it hadn't turned out the way I hoped. But I want to tell you something. I've made up my mind. I'm going to serve him. It's like the line in that song, I've decided to follow Jesus, though none go with me, yet I will follow. And that's what the scripture actually teaches. Not that we should... Be careful not to let the ministry hurt our family, but that we should be faithful in the ministry in spite of everything. There's household persecution that uh, will come. And this is, this is the kind of stuff that the uh, book of Hebrews, which is written before 70 AD, right? Isn't that what the uh, writer of Hebrews is doing? He's encouraging people who are followers of Jesus, that uh, they should not turn back. That they should not turn back to the law. That they should, not, that they should follow Jesus and uh, hold on to their profession. And that they should go forward and uh, persevere. Isn't that, what they, isn't that what the writer of Hebrews, that, isn't that what the whole book is about? Don't turn back, don't give up, don't go back. Because what was happening was they were not only being persecuted by others because of their profession of faith, their own families were turning them away. That's hard, isn't it? Can you imagine how hard that would be? So... This is uh, <clears throat> that uh, terrible persecution. Matthew 24, 10 says, because the love of many shall wax cold, or the, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There's a great danger of people falling away. And these uh, uh, verses here talk about uh, uh, brothers and uh, delivering over brothers to death and father is child and children rise against parents what a horrible thing that is but that's the way the christian life can be and if it turns out that that is the path that you have to walk are you willing to walk it are we willing to walk it that's, I guess, a little bit of application. Then let's move on to verse number 14. Number 14. Wait, I better, I better deal with this thing about uh, 
we must endure to the end. Now, uh, I don't have a problem with this, but I guess some people do, that uh, they think that uh, this is some kind of implication that if you don't endure to the end that you will lose your salvation. But it seems to me that enduring to the end is the badge of your salvation. It's more the proof of the proof text of your salvation than it is a, uh, a possibility of losing salvation. Those who endure to the end are those who have been enabled to endure. There's not any of them. Uh, it seems that the scripture says it's, uh, it seems pretty clear to me that if God didn't do something, that even, uh, you know, the elect, those days had to be shortened for the elect's sake. And so uh, it seems to me that if God wasn't working and God wasn't keeping you faithful, if God wasn't encouraging and uh, using the means of grace to persevere with you, you would not persevere for him. My, my opinion, take, take that for what it's worth. And you can question me on any of this stuff afterward. Then uh, verse number 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, the abomination of desolation, this comes from uh, the book of Daniel, of course, and uh, uh, it is a prophecy. Now, there are sometimes... Uh, previews of prophecy I, I would uh, maybe that's not the right way of uh, saying it but there was a time before this when a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes or uh, people pronounce it differently but uh, he was a uh, a uh, a man who uh, sacrificed swine flesh on the uh, altar and so this is kind of a foreshadowing of what we're talking about here. But Luke explains it pretty well, I think, when we uh, look at what Luke says about uh, this passage of Scripture. If we want to know what Jesus meant by the, uh, by the uh, abomination of desolation. Uh, he says in uh, verse number 20 of chapter 21, Luke chapter 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So it seems like it's the same subject that Jesus is talking with in the way Luke uh, phrases it is that when you see those armies come passing uh, uh, Jerusalem and you see those armies coming in to the temple, then you know that this desolation has come. 
And so that's the abomination of desolation. And then uh, there is, we see the destruction of Jerusalem. He said, let, uh, uh, let the one who, verse 15, let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that you may that it may not happen in winter for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be and if the Lord had not cut short the days no human being would be saved but for the elect's sake whom he chose he shortened the days well this uh destruction of Jerusalem is the uh, when that uh, uh, those soldiers begin to surround the place and you see that Jesus said you should flee and he is talking not about some time in our future he's talking about a time in their future in the first century where the believers can avoid the wrath that is falling they can be saved they can run away and uh, be, and you know what's interesting about this is when you hear of uh, an army coming and you're un going to be under attack have you ever noticed the cowboy and indian movies and the westerns where when uh, there's an indian attack going to take place they all run to the fort and the last one gets in and they pull the door shut and they're all in the fort well that's the the natural way of doing isn't it that that would be the right thing to do in most circumstances but what jesus said is when you see all this army advancing on jerusalem you don't run to jerusalem you run to the wilderness you run to the mountains and hide that is against nature, but that's what Jesus said to do. And here's what uh, Eusebius said. He's a historian, and he's actually quoting. He's actually quote, quoting from uh, 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 Flavius Josephus, who was there. Flavius Josephus was a first-century Jewish historian. He was a soldier at uh, for some time, but he saw firsthand all this. Now, listen to what he said. This is what Josephus says about it, quoted by uh, Eusebius. But the people of the church in Jerusalem had been commanded by a revelation, vouchsafed to approved men there before the war, to leave the city and to dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella. And when those that believed in Christ had come thither to Pella from Jerusalem, then as if by the royal city, as if the royal city of the Jews and the whole land of Judea were entirely destitute of holy men. 
And so he's saying that, uh, that they all left Judea and Jerusalem, and so the place was entirely destitute of holy men. The judgment of God at length overtook those who had committed such outrages against Christ and his apostles and totally destroyed that generation of impious men. But the number of calamities which everywhere fell upon the nation at that time, the extreme misfortunes to which the inhabitants of Judea were especially subjected, the thousands of men as well as women and children that perished by the sword, by famine, and by other forms of death innumerable, all these things, as well as many great sieges, which were carried on against the cities of Judea and the excessive sufferings endured by those that fled to Jerusalem itself as to a city of perfect safety. And finally, the general course of the whole war, as well as its particular occurrences in detail, and how last, at last the abomination of desolation proclaimed by the prophet stood in the very temple of God. That's, uh, that's confirmed history. That's what took place. Well, as we go on, I've got to hurry I'm about out of time, but uh, uh, verses 21 through 23, false Christs. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Now, let me, let me say this, that uh, we, we need warnings like this. The church needs warnings like this. And uh, those believers, especially during those days, needed that kind of warning because of the Jesus was foretelling the, uh, the kind of religious deception that was coming in their generation, in their time. They were going to see this happen. But, uh, but this is even more of a fearful thing for them because Jesus was going to uh, allow this to happen. This is something that God was going to give, that God was going to do to them. And I thought as I was uh, uh, studying this, I thought about 2 Thessalonians, and uh, I don't know, you know, how this all fits in uh, all the little things of eschatology, but listen to what 2 Thessalonians said about uh, the, uh, the lawless one. He says, uh, let me see where to start. Let me start in verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, 
because they refused. Now listen to this. They refused to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And it sounds like that's exactly what Jesus is going to do to those who are left in Jerusalem at that time. It sounds to me like that's exactly what's happening. There will be false Christ and he's warning his people because they are such uh, uh, powerful mockeries. They are not people who are just coming up with things. They are people who God is in allowing Satan to use. And they're going to do miracles and things that will deceive and so Jesus warns them because that is our only hope to be to be acquainted to be full of the word of God full of the truth of God so that when things like that do show up we're not deceived and they would not be deceived and he said I've told you all these things beforehand and I got to stop. But uh, there's so much more. I want to talk about uh, the coming of the Son of Man in the next verses. Because this is one of those things that atheists and opponents of Christianity like to, uh, they like to use to refute the deity of Christ uh, because he's saying that uh, the Son of Man is coming in that generation and according to them he had to be a false prophet because apparently he didn't come. Well, I don't want to leave you on a cliffhanger, but you're on a cliffhanger. We're going to find out about that next, uh, next Sunday, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd take these uh, scattered thoughts. I know that, uh, that I've stumbled through, and, and I certainly trust, Lord, that you will uh, take these words and put them together in some form of coherent uh, teaching that your people will be able to draw from and be encouraged by during the week. I pray that you would help us, Lord. We want to understand last things. We want to understand what you really saying to us out of the scripture. And so help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.